1: Hello and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. Happy International Women's Week and month and day. I uh, hope you had a nice day when it happened. Um, I always find it a bit awkward because I hope that we don't need a day soon. That would be ideal for me because we're being just sort of, you know, celebrated and protected and acknowledged uh, every day. I think that's a while away, judging from the headlines at the moment. Anyway... I uh, I love you and I hope that you give yourself grace. I hope you give others grace during this time. I hope it's just a nice reminder for us to remember to celebrate ourselves, treat ourselves with kindness. Really look at how fucking amazing we are, given all the shit we have to go through. And I hope you are just treating yourself and nourishing yourself as much as possible. Just engage in pleasure. I think that's what this time is best for, for me. It's just reminding myself that I deserve to be just wrapped in bubble wrap sometimes and looked after the way I would look after my best friend. Anyway, I feel like today's guest is perfect for this week, um, partially because of how we met. We were at a conference, a women's conference. We were both speaking separately and, you know, we're the same age, got the same haircut. We have had extremely similar lives and I, I I really learned to the full extent how similar we are during this podcast, during this chat. So it went very deep and got very intimate. We have similar messages and similar hopes and we write about and talk about similar things. Now, ordinarily, in a world maybe five, ten years ago, we would be seen as competition. We would be seen as women who should stay away from each other because we work along the same line. And that is a design of the patriarchy, right? They know that there is strength in numbers. They know that if we are divided, we are easier to conquer and easier to ignore. And the first thing I thought when I connected with Tara... In the green room at this conference, was, oh, she's fucking fantastic. And I want to spread her message to as many people as I can because she knows how to do things I don't know how to do. And she shares the same message as me. And there is strength in numbers. And I do so desperately just want to collaborate with as many women as I can the ones who are different from me and almost especially the ones who do the same thing. We are on the same side, we are in the same fight. We have to do this as a team. And and that felt really nice for International Women's Week, Day, Month, Year. I, uh, I enjoyed the mutual camaraderie that we shared and sensed between one another immediately. And we stayed in touch. And when her new book came out, Glow in the Fucking Dark, I uh, was so excited to have her on my podcast to be able to teach you the things that she has had to learn through an incredibly complicated life. Because on the from the outside, Tara seems extremely privileged in many ways. And, and I'm, I'm sure she would agree she is in certain aspects of where she exists in the world. But she's been through a lot. And there are so many conversations when we talk about trauma that examine massive, very obvious traumas. But sometimes it's death by a thousand cuts. Sometimes it's loads of mini traumas, uh, the kind of things that we don't talk about in the headlines and the mainstream that can absolutely devastate someone from the inside out. And there's not really a lot of places for those people to go, a lot of places for those people to feel seen and heard and for them to work their way out of it. And they deserve to and they need to. And I think her story is quite representative of so many people that I know, so many people that write to me every day. And I think you'll enjoy this chat. We, we talk about surviving a neglectful childhood we talk about relearning worthiness we talk about the importance of owning and affirming your own experiences learning to separate internal validation from external validation something that's really fucking hard to do for women especially because we're taught that that is our entire fucking value we talk about the actual practice of real gratitude not the sort of insta gratitude real proper tangible micro and macro gratitude and we talk about learning the importance of stardust. Now, she's going to explain that more so than I can, because I'm British and we don't talk about that sort of thing so much. But maybe we should, so that we could be as happy as Tara is now. Um, it's a really vulnerable conversation and I felt very at ease with her and I feel very excited for her to bring a bit of hope and joy into the world. And the news has been fucking horrendous this week especially for anyone within the lgbtq plus community it's just been shocking and shit and it's really hard to not just allow the doom and the hopelessness to swallow you whole and i think she is looking for a bit of light and she's teaching us all how to get there alongside her and i think maybe that's what we need we need just a fucking break for a minute we need to just check out and hear something hopeful and hear a positive survivor story and and maybe learn some tips and tricks together so let me know how you feel tell me what you think write to tara find her she's a lovely woman and enjoy the excellent tara schuster Shuster, welcome to I Way. How are you?
2: I'm excellent, and I'm so excited to be here with you.
1: Oh, likewise. Uh, we met in a funny way. We met at a women's conference that we were both speaking at. I was interviewing Viola Davis. You were speaking there, and it's quick love, wasn't it? Yes,
2: yes. quick love at first sight. A quick one might
1: cute. say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the in the green room area, and. Yeah. It's so fun to be able to get you on the podcast because I would love to dig into both of your books, but especially the new one, "Glow in the Fucking Dark," uh, which is such a great title, and I love a good, I love a good fucking uh, (laughs) whenever I can, whenever I can find one, um, both figuratively and literally. Uh, But (laughs) I, um, I want to dig into what it's about. I think, and pardon me if I'm just going to go straight in uh, presumptuously, but. I think that you exist in a space that is underrepresented in the conversation of mental health because we are all talking about mental health much more than before. But a lot of the stories that like rise, uh, to the top of our kind of consciousness are ones of immense and very obvious trauma. Yeah. And so stories of terrible, terrible terrors and unimaginable pain. And because those are the stories that we hear, my own childhood was like fucking terrifying and therefore quite weirdly quite easy to understand as I got older. Mm. Um, we start to feel like we're not entitled to feel yes. pain if we don't have the very obvious horror movie story. And yes. actually there are a lot of people who have more insidious traumas and, and micro pains or things that they hypernormalize because they're children and it comes to find them when they're older. And I think when it finds you when you're older, if you don't have that immediate thing to uh, think back to, then it can be really debilitating. I've seen this for a lot of my friends because you don't know why you're behaving the way you do. And then you sort of gaslight yourself and other people gaslight you and you start to think it's only chemical. And for some people it is chemical. But for some people there are these these micro traumas that happen all over the place. It's like death by a thousand cuts. And your story to me feels like one of those. And it's a really important conversation to have because you don't have to have been to war to still be dealing with the scars of your childhood.
2: Yes, Um, I I don't know if you're familiar with Lori Gottlieb's work. Um, I'm not. She's a therapist, great book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And she introduces the concept that there's no hierarchy of pain. That Mm -hmm. if you went through something and it was miserable, it doesn't have to be the world's worst experience ever. And that, it was um, very shaming to me, sort of, you know, backing up, I grew up in a neglectful, psychologically abusive house where things came to die. You know, Mm. all the pets, all the plants, like anything nice was immediately ruined because my parents, I actually don't really blame them. They just truly did not know how to take care of children nor have any appetite to learn. You know, I'm sure they were Mm. in their own worlds about that. But the thing about neglect is it's something other people don't really see you know, there's no, like, wealth on your arm. There's no obvious thing to call the authorities to. But social services did come to my house a lot because I guess people at school noticed that my tights were hanging down my legs and my hair was a rat nest. Like, those were the signs. Um, but neglect is so much about what you didn't get. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so what I learned from my childhood of no one taking care of me, being alone a lot of the time, was that I was unworthy, because otherwise, why wasn't anybody helping me? I must, it must be me, I must be unworthy. Well, you
1: had an interesting sort of moment on a hike, right? Where you didn't actually know until then that your situation was abnormal, that no one was caring for you. You know, like as kids, we just sort of, we take what we're given. And you saw a father uh, reassure his children about safety. Yes. Uh, and you you realized in that moment, oh my God, parents reassure their kids. Oh my God, parents oh. are there to look after you. And that was sort of like the
2: beginning of yes. the break. It was mind blowing. I, you know, my friends always say to me, you're so courageous. You're so brave. Like you go travel the world alone and I hike in these weird slot canyons where I definitely shouldn't be. And I'll, I'll go on any adventure. And I was, um, camping alone in Zion and I accidentally set fire to like my, the little grill. And I was like, okay, never mind this. We're doing takeout every single night. <laughs> and <laughs> I went to like the local restaurant in Zion. And I was just listening to this father talking to his kids and he was ordering them, you know, um, fries with chili. And he said, uh, now kids, we're going canyoneering tomorrow. And I've never done it. So I don't, I don't know what it's like, but I've hired somebody who's an expert who's done this hundreds of times. So even if you're scared, you're going to be safe. And I was like, wait, what parents? think about their children's safety. They actually do something, they hire someone, they reassure their children. And what I've had to do is reality check myself a lot because my experience was just so not what my friends were. So I went to my best friend and I said, hey, did your parents ever tell you you were safe? And like, do you tell your kids they're safe? And she was like, that's the number one job of a parent is to provide emotional safety, physical safety, And in that one instant, I was like, whoa. So the reason I have felt 10 out of 10 scared, like all the time, like when a trash can lid closes, I like get enormous startle is like, oh, I've just never felt safe. And so I engage in risky trips and hikes and weird things that actually aren't cool. They're just straight up not safe. And I don't take safety precautions because that's been normalized. That's what's comfortable to me. And yeah. Well, I just want to ask a quick question, um,
1: not to try and therapize you, but I just, I I wonder only from my own patterns, are you doing that just because you have no like innate protocol of safety for yourself? Or are you also doing it to externalize the inner feeling of, of a lack of safety that you get probably sitting on your couch, you, you go and do dangerous things in order to externalize it.
2: I think it's more the former that it's just become so comfortable to me that I don't even understand that there Mm -hmm. would be an alternative. And it truly was not until, you know, I don't know, I must've been 34, 35 when this incident happened where I was like, oh wow, people have safety. Some, and we live in a society that is so unsafe on so many levels, you know, particularly like how you show up in the world really dictates just exactly how safe you are. And I think more and more what I'm realizing is I have to find a place of internal safety because I cannot control external factors, but if I can find room within myself to feel calm, to feel safe, to know that I can handle my emotions, Mm -hmm. that's a much better baseline to face the entire world. So that's a lot of the work of this book is just finding a safe place within yourself.
1: And so, talk to me a little bit about your mental health journey. Like, how did that childhood manifest as an adult that has led you to write all these books about teaching
2: people how to kind of take back their autonomy of self regulation? Yeah. So, you know, the main message coming from my childhood, you're worthless, it like became a diss track in my brain. So, the only things I heard were, You're worthless. You're ugly. Nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. You're, it's too late to do anything meaningful with your life. I was 25. And were you ever told that by anyone? no, No, it was just what I came to believe. You know, like my coping strategy was just, well, believe them because if anybody cared, if you were actually loved, why would you have been treated this way? There must be something really wrong with you. So I decided okay, my parents aren't gonna give me any validation. I'm just gonna hustle at school. And so I was like, teacher's pet, have lunch with the teacher, hustle, 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 got to an Ivy League school, got to uh, Comedy Central. Like My first job ever was being an intern on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And I was just like, I need external validation. It was so clear to me that what I was doing was, I had felt like such a weirdo my whole life like like nobody could understand my experience and nobody talked about mental health then, that this job became like a magic trick. Like, look at me, I made it. Uh, You know, I'm hanging out with Key Peel, and don't look over here at a quarter century of complex trauma, but like, look at this big shiny object over here. And so on the outside, it looked like, wow, my career was going really well. But on the inside, I was... 10 out of 10 anxious, 10 out of 10 depressed, which was this horrible fluctuation. I I would be like the girl crying on your stoop or or Mm -hmm. like the girl openly weeping on the subway, but every day. And it might've kept going that way, hustling externally, imploding internally, if I hadn't drunk dialed my therapist on my 25th birthday, threatening to kill myself. And- you know, the next morning playing back her messages and like understanding, wow, this calm European woman who always wears like a handkerchief and has like this little cup of tea and I have never seen her stressed out ever was frantically trying to find me and get me to hospitalize myself. And that morning scared me. I I was like, if I don't save my life, I'm not going to have much more of a life to live. And that was the turning point. That was you know what? I might not be to blame for any of this, but it's now my responsibility. I'm not going to, I am not going to neglect myself. And since I didn't have any mentors or like I couldn't turn to my parents, I turned to the thing I was good at, which was work. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to create a Google document. I'm going to put in all my questions. I'm going to research the shit out of it. You know, like what are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? You know, like Genuinely, Mm -hmm. what are they? Which one should I be eating? And I attacked it for five years. And it became your new uh, thing to win. Oh, yeah. I was going to win at healing. (laughs) I was going to win mental health. So hard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Truly. And at the end of five years, I had a 600 page Google Doc, felt stable. Like, I just want to highlight, underline. I never thought I could feel stable. And yet I did. And that's when I decided to write my first book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, not because I wanted to be a memoir self-help writer. Like That hadn't occurred to me. I was a comedy executive. It was just that I had all this stuff and I knew I couldn't be alone and and that it could help other people because I really don't like most self-help books because they say something like, feel joy. It's like, cool, what are steps one through five? Like, can, mm-hmm. can you break this down for me? And mm-hmm. so that's what I hope to do in my writing is like entertain, make you laugh and give you like, here are actionable things It won't work. Not every tool will work for everybody, but I bet one will. Mm-hmm. And can you
1: talk to me a little bit about your parents? Cause I know you've kind of like, you've got more healing for yourself like attitude towards them now right which i think we yeah. all as we get older have a bit more empathy as we start to see how uh unstable everyone <laughs> our age is yeah and you're like oh my god they had us for 10 years by this age yeah. like, jesus yeah. christ no wonder they <laughs> fucked everything up um but uh talk to me a little bit about if you don't mind like what no, your parents no. were like and like how you now understand and perceive that
2: yeah i mean My mom was uh, very physically invasive. Um, She was always investigating my body and telling me things that were wrong with me. And one of my strongest memories of her as a child was um, I was in a limo going to LAX and I was five. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm the shit. I'm in a limo. This is the best day of my life. Like, look at these cups. Look at these glasses. Oh my God, there's a phone. Mm-hmm. Freaking out. My mom had bought me this um, faux fur, like, coat, which I'm like, Eloise from my favorite childhood book, she is going to be my best friend for all of time when she sees me in this dope coat. Like, mm-hmm. best day of my life. And my mom tells me to come sit next to her and she starts pulling out cards and she says, do you know what these are? No. Uh, these are the prostitutes your dad is sleeping with. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love me. And I, 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 I couldn't process what I remember is being like, I can feel right now just stunned. Like, I know mm. this isn't good. And when she said, your your daddy doesn't love you, I said, well, no, 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 no. I know daddy loves me. I know that, 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 that I, that I could hang on to. And she said, oh yeah, because he wanted you aborted. I'm the only one oh, who for loves fuck you. Oh, Yeah. I'm the yeah. only one who loves you. And that kind of thing, you know, when you were talking before about how some of us feel like we shouldn't feel as bad as we did,
0: mm-hmm. we don't, we are
2: not entitled to trauma, that single memory played such a messed up part of my operating system mm-hmm. to be told by your mom that your dad wanted you mm-hmm. dead and that you were like isolated. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was really much more actively, um, I would say psychologically abusive. Mm-hmm. My dad just didn't know what the fuck was happening. I, I don't, I don't know. He was a step better because he didn't Actively, um, kind of attack me, but the basic thing with my dad was he was always telling me how financially doomed we were. We're ruined. If this business deal doesn't go through with everything is going to be ruined, I don't know what we're going to do, which fair enough, maybe, but now I know enough to know, well, a parent shields their child from that, you know, is like, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Children are like
1: sponges. They just absorb everything. Yeah. And they absorb it for life. Like, I mean, in the first seven years, you kind of, if a child goes through an incredibly stressful home situation like that, it literally rewires their brain. Yes. So you change yes. your brain chemistry and your brain patterns for life. Like I learned to disassociate by the age of six. And then I've spent my entire life not knowing how to like disassociate without like a lot of steps uh, in between. 100. And it's just like, it's just those, it's that pivotal time in your life. And so to have that as your setting means that I kind of, it enters your DNA almost, yes. you know, your cortisol yes. response, your insulin response that affects your long-term health. Like it's so fucking dangerous. It must be really hard. And God knows that our, you know, our parents, I had a very similar dynamic to yours uh in my home. Um And then also like a lot of rage towards the parent who was more useless because they allowed mm. the other shit to happen to me. Mm. And there was mm. like sort of that anger to, uh, you know, um, towards them. But they didn't have any access to... The information that we had now, where would yeah. you even have gone? You know, in the seventies right. and eighties, like to right. to find out what's wrong with you. We didn't have depression. We had like one flew over the cuckoo's nest as like their only representation <laughs> yeah. of mental health issues, and those yeah. are like the most mentally ill people you can imagine, yes. like, the most dramatized yes. version. um Or they would have paranoid schizophrenics, you know, who would always be portrayed as murderers and killers, just so fucking toxic. But it was it was a twisted time. And I, I honestly don't know like how anyone's stable. Whenever I I meet friends who are just sort of fine, uh, yeah. and I meet their parents who just sort of did a did a pretty sane job, you just realize it's just it's a lottery of the lineage. You know how oh, were they raised absolutely. by their parents? Like everyone learned their shit. Is I mean, it's I I don't want children because I don't want children. But I'm I'm sure that like even when I thought I might, I was absolutely terrified because I was like. All of the examples I have in my bones, like in my marrow, are fucking terrible. And I'm going to repeat the, like, the damage somehow without meaning to. Because I don't think our parents meant to.
2: No, I, and now that I'm like an adult, and I would say a pretty healthy one, when I actually imagine, (laughs) how dare you, how dare you? Um, Go on. (laughs) But once I imagine, like, I've taken care of my best friend's kids a lot of times. And so to reality check myself, I say, what if Maya was told she should have been aborted? What if someone examined her body? What would my adult response be? It would be to fucking protect that child, call the police, throw the person off. And if that's how I would feel about a little girl then it really was as bad and as scary as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I know that both of my parents went through forms of abuse. And to your point, there were no resources of like, it was just brush it off. You should be fine. Buy a bunch of it stuff. Was, you should be was fine. It was brush it off or it was like hyperbolic
1: misinformation. Absolutely. that make people terrified of needing a therapist if you needed yes. a therapist then you are from the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest like it was absolutely. it was just not the booming industry that it is now like the self help section until like 5 years ago was somewhere humiliating to be seen people a- would sort absolutely. of like sidestep their way towards that section pretending that they're lost <laughs> And then bury and then- <laughs> that book under like five other books, you know, and just sort of look the other way at the, at the cash register. I remember like, I'm old enough to have watched yeah. that whole transformation. It's wild to watch it, but you know, I, I do, it doesn't make it okay, but it does for me anyway, make it easier to digest the fact that, okay, well they weren't like, they didn't hope to harm me they couldn't yes. help it. And it's nice knowing that you weren't targeted. It's really frustrating being caught in the debris yeah. of their own damage, but it's nice to yeah. know that there wasn't like a hit on my back.
2: Well, that's exactly how I feel about my mom. When I look at other little girls, now what I realize is to to hurt me as much as she did, mm-hmm. what was going on inside of her brain? Mm-hmm. Like what prison of horror was she living in that that was her instinct And it's taken 10 years of very intense therapy, really trying my all to forgive her. Because, Mm -hmm. and I I genuinely do, because, wow, she kind of didn't get to live a life or the life that I would want. You know, I haven't Mm -hmm. talked to her in 15 years. Mm -hmm. And I know from that limo situation, how much she wanted me, how much she wanted me to love her and to like have me as her own. And it's sad that the way she treated me made sure that she would never have that love. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I've, I totally agree with you. I, I know I wasn't targeted. I know my mom wouldn't have hoped to hurt me as much as she did. And she did. And I have to deal with the fallout of that because no one else is going to deal with it.
1: Yeah, well, it makes you feel a bit. I haven't spoken to anyone in my family apart from my like my extended family. Even just my brother is the only person I wow. I still have a like, that. relationship with. Yeah, I had a. I you know there was there are a lot of similarities in our friendship. Yeah. yeah. but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P.com slash iWay. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is
0: tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta,
1: we know. Refill, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply.
0: Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.
1: You said your mom was examining your body. Uh, Do you mean
2: like how you looked? I mean two things. One was she was constantly changing me. So... I didn't, you know, I love the color of my hair. I have super dark hair. I love it. I love it. I love it. I've always loved it. She was always trying to like dye it, make it blonde, make it something else. You know, like when I started getting like little hairs on my body, like pluck them, take them away. But also, you know, like she was also a doctor. And so some of these things were physical exams, which I always questioned myself like, wait, was it really that bad? Like, is it really how I remember it? I was so young um, and I can like very distinctly remember lying on the gray carpeted floor of my parents' bathroom with the skylight above and me just squirming and screaming and not wanting to be examined. And what I always have to remind myself is I wouldn't physically feel that terrible just telling you that if that hadn't been terrible at the time.
1: Yeah, it's insane. I mean, there's a reason why they're not, yeah. you're not supposed to like treat your own children. like it's, There are supposed to be boundaries. There's supposed to be yeah. something
2: very wrong with your
1: child before they get subjected to any kind of physical inspection. It makes someone feel so violated and unsafe. And even mm-hmm. as a baby, you can register that maybe on a cellular level, oh. even if you don't know that it's wrong. That's the why so much child abuse, like,
2: Yeah. I felt anytime I saw my mom or now look at a picture of my mom my it, my instinct immediately is to flee jump run go mm-hmm. it, because it was so violating from so early mhm yeah I uh, um
1: when I would speak to any member of my family my glands would literally swell up underneath my and I would look like a sort of um like those pelicans uh, you know, it was really intense. I would just like, and I'd sometimes have to be sent home from my TV job because hmm. they'd be like, my makeup artist would be like, "I can't even carve this in half, like with a contour brush. So there's like, there's nothing I can do," uh, and I'd be sent home because God forbid we see someone with out chiseled cheekbones on <laughs> yeah, the national exactly. television. Uh, but yeah, it, I so I, I do understand the stress response. So did that impact the way that you felt about your your body, and did it impact? dating or like, oh my God.
2: Yes. (laughs) To, To like an absolute extreme. I mean, right now, something I talking about in my second book is during the pandemic, I was all alone. I don't have a partner. I didn't have any family. I wasn't talking to either my mom or my dad. My sister lived in a different state. And so I realized, you know what I really want? Like abs. I want Britney Spears, like snake around. My neck. Abs, Slave yeah. Yeah. for you. for yeah, you. I yeah. want these at least once in my life, like for one minute, and then I can quit. And so mm-hmm. I went on this journey, this like epic journey. I hired um, a personal trainer on Zoom. I he he changed how I ate. He changed my macros, my, you know, my carbs, my fat intake. I was working out maybe twice a day. I was working out more than I'd ever worked out. But Fuck I would me. wake up at it and it. And what's like fucked up is like I started to see a difference. And when I'd go on a walk with a friend, they'd be like, "Wow, you look amazing," which felt I felt a lot of shame when they'd say that and pride. Shame because I knew it was something was messed up here. Pride because that was what I was looking for. Was that validation of my body. And it got worse and worse and worse. And I was like more miserable. And I wake up in the middle of the night, just dreaming of bread, like tr- mm. like truly just thinking about bread. And then I would stand in front of my refrigerator, just looking, wanting to eat, not eating. It, it was the first time I had ever been like that restrictive with myself. And at the end of the day, I was so miserable that I was like, fuck this. Apparently I can't get abs. That's over. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm grateful to have a body. Like, I am grateful that I woke up this morning. I am grateful that like my lungs work, my, you know, if if you've ever been injured or if you have a chronic disease, you know the difference between what it feels like to be healthy and what it feels like not to be. And so I've really taken on, you know, like I'm willing to bet every single woman on planet Earth. The way that I have found more self-acceptance is through body gratitude is through like touching my body and telling it like, oh, you're divine, you're beautiful. You came from an animating part of the universe. Holy shit, you're cool. And it's almost been like um, a gratitude trick. to Well, I was going to gonna say, you have way. something
1: in your book where you talk about like the fact, and I wanted to um, like get into this with you because I don't understand. Uh, so you're talking about fake gratitude, like fake it till you
2: make it gratitude. Oh yeah. What yeah. does that mean? And, and does it really work? yeah. I'm glad you asked. So the first time I heard about gratitude was from this like super, super privileged, waspy girl who like I'm privileged, but her family came to America on the Arabella, which was the second boat after the Mayflower. Like Mm -hmm. this was some next level blue blood uh situation. She had gone to Harvard, then become a professional ballerina, then just decided, Oh, I'll be a very on the nose. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was like, you know, like exactly that person. And I went to visit her family in Maine. Did she have a perfect chignon at the back of her head? Oh, no, that would have been good. But she does have, I describe her as bird-like features, like everything very, very delicate, very, very delicate fingers, the whole thing. And I'm having a full-blown fucking panic attack Cry, like crying melting down because of some stupid boy situation but really because I feel that I'm nothing you know I mm-hmm. feel that I'm worthless and when a
1: relationship she, would fail would it like reaffirm this idea oh, you have in yourself yeah. of
2: like I can't
1: be loved it's not just that my I will parents be abandoned. I am fundamentally unlovable and due to be abandoned
2: in fact whenever I was looking for a relationship I was looking more not to be abandoned than to ever be loved So
1: also maybe dating people who weren't necessarily the person that you were most looking for, but, uh, but someone who you knew would be like, so grateful to have you.
2: I wish because instead (laughs) it was, instead it was just so on the nose, carbon copy. Let me choose someone who's my dad, who doesn't see me. I can't have emotions. And then I'll end up breaking up with them because I can't ultimately accept that. And then I'll doom spiral and then I'll rise from the ashes, phoenix yeah. like, like. I almost knew that that was what it was happening. And and this was one of those I was in in the ashes at this point, had not risen yet. And this girl says to me, "Have you ever have you ever tried a gratitude practice?" And I'm like, "I'm like, why?" She's like, "Well, that can sometimes really help you feel better." And every single fuck boiled up in my blood. I was like, "Wait." Are, Are you kidding me? Like, you have so much to be grateful for. You have this family, you have this compound, you have your whole life. What do I have to be grateful for? Do you see me slumped over, miserable? And so really to spite her, and this is like, I am very cynical of most things. That's always where I start is like, there's no way this could possibly work. Like to spite her and be self-righteous about how stupid a gratitude practice was, I started. Like I 100% faked it and just, my first gratitude lists are like, you're a liar. You're not grateful for anything. I guess water, I guess your health, I guess your sister. And after a few days, I was like, holy shit, water, my health, my sister, like what, like what could I be more grateful for? It's and funny. That was, I, yeah. that was flipped it.
1: I, um, I dated someone, uh, this, lovely uh, Irishman who used to have his dirty tankies uh, every night before bed <laughs> where he would thank like, he would lie there in bed and he wouldn't go to sleep until he could think of 30 things he was like thankful for wow. and so like oh, wow. 30 means that like, it goes beyond the obvious you have to really start being like really Dig. grateful for that plastic fork that was available I was <laughs> having that salad earlier like it really like gets into it but he <laughs> would wake up feeling Amazing. And obviously that I'm too much of a, an old cunt to <laughs> like that. So I, I never did, but I was always like, that's just some sort of stupid placebo effect. But, but obviously placebo is real, you know, and placebo is medically acknowledged as something that is powerful and, and true
0: Absolutely. And, and, and
1: altering. And so it did alter his day. And when he didn't remember to do his totee tankies, cause he had too much Guinness, like it changed his day. It really did. So I guess it's a kind of sim. I've just not heard anyone else talk about that before until then. And he's not lying there actually being grateful to the fucking fork, but or like the condom that didn't break or whatever. Like it's just, it's just that it's, it's, it's kind of, especially doing it at night. I don't know when you do it. But doing it before I, you go to sleep as you're going into that altered state yeah, it seems to
2: I it do it to be typically powerful. first thing in the morning, but right now I'm experimenting with doing it at night and joining the question and adding to it, was I kind to someone? Was someone else kind to me? Mm-hmm. As a kind of like, I want to be a person people remember as having been fundamentally kind. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to get there <laughs> as current me because I wasn't really born that way. You mm-hmm. know, so for me, a lot of this stuff is like, if I repeat it enough times, I know I want it. If I repeat it enough times, if I'm kind of disciplined about it, I've just noticed any characteristic I want. Like I'm not a generous person at all. I'm like, mm-hmm. how much is this going to cost? I really need to think about this. And I Plus have to Because you were terrorized myself. about finances Money. as a child. Yeah. yeah. I was the same. Exactly. And I drive my boyfriend
1: fucking crazy about finances. Like if I right? go a month... But without having a job, like I've been too sick to work for the last few months, and I've been like doom spiraling, even though I'm definitely okay. But doom spiraling because I'm so accustomed to thinking, you know, like we got moved around 13 times when I was a child, and like I started to know the names of the bailiffs. Bailiffs are the people who turn up, and I don't know if it's the same name in America, but who turn up and take your shit if you don't have money to pay your debt. So they'll come in and just take your TV or your bed or your like bar. Be like anything, yeah. like uh, and so that was my childhood, like constant terror of being rehoused, and every time somewhere shitter or another country where the pound was stronger, and so this feeling of constantly being out of control and destabilized yes. has made me not controlling of other people, which I'm proud of myself for, but in like outrageously controlling of myself and my circumstances.
2: Do you do the catastrophe math often? What's the oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that this is like, if everything else goes to shit and I never make another mm-hmm. dollar in my life, can I cover mm-hmm. my current expenses and how could I possibly mm-hmm. thin them out so that over like this decade, I could, when nothing is wrong, when it's just a pleasant day, I, I do that all mm-hmm. the time. That is definitely a legacy of trauma around money is like, I. Not being, I also couldn't spend money, which sounds like such a, it's, it sounds like such a weird thing to say, but ordering takeout took me at least five years of therapy to get comfortable with mm-hmm. because, and if, if I was having people over, totally different situation.
1: I was about to say I spend insane amounts of money on other people, but won't spend exactly. anything
2: on myself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, with this whole gratitude thing, faking it till you make it, I find that it's very, very helpful. And I'm gentle with myself about it. I'm not gonna hate myself into healing. You know, like, there's no, like, you must, it's so strict, you got to do these 50 rituals for this to work. No, I like forgive myself when I mess up, when I fall into another one of these patterns about money. Oh, it's okay, sweetheart. You know, I put a hand on my chest. And I think what it's helped me with is once you start a gratitude practice, you're forced to see reality. Because if you're just seeing what's negative and what's wrong, you actually are not seeing the big picture. And this isn't toxic positivity. It's Mm -hmm. grief and gratitude always live together. They cannot be undone.
1: Yeah, it's also a much needed response to a generation that capitalism has infused with a mind state of lack. And what That's I mean by bad. that is that, like, uh, that everything we are supposed to feel like we never have enough, so that we continue to consume, right? And so yes. we are being constantly trained. Like, you don't have enough likes. You aren't thin enough. Your ass isn't big yeah. enough. Your ass isn't small right. enough. Now, your uh, you don't have a rich enough partner. You don't have a nice enough car. Like, this yes. is the new makeup. This is the new skirt. This is the must-have. Like, we are just constantly in a state of someone else has more. Yes. and so we feel as though we don't have enough so it is it is a vital practice i've i found gratitude not through a a practice although i'm i'm now going to try this and i might also try oh, and awesome. revisit those torty tankies uh yes. i love irish accents so but <laughs> i uh i'll never say it any other way but i am um, it has really like tuned out this, this like constant buzz of capitalism that says acquire, acquire, acquire.
2: I call it money sick, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's dope sick, there's Mm -hmm. money sick because I, I'll just speak personally. I got to a point where I believed that there was no other way to enjoy your life than to have like, like real wealth. But the problem was there was no number that was enough. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you like what will be enough money. So the answer was just hustle till you die and make as much as possible, even if you can't use it. And even if it, even if you're trading all your time for money. Mm -hmm. And I I think our whole cult, I, I know our whole culture is money sick. And it doesn't really help that on Instagram, there is so much wealth porn, you know, of just, I don't even without naming the celebrity like someone who has a room for sprinkles in their house like oh sh- oh should I what have a room fuck? for sprinkles like what do you mean sprinkles mul- <laughs> like for your frozen yogurt yeah shut the fuck up I cannot I cannot because it is real and because this person also had multiple refrigerators in multiple rooms for different things and I, and I look at that and I'm like what's wrong with me why am I not on a private jet? Why am I not in the sprinkle room? Right, right, right. You know? And so yeah, you're I just really trying to hyped... fill the
1: void. And I think sometimes someone might yeah. hear that. And especially in the kind of like the rise of the Marxist kind of left movement, some people are like, that's disgusting. Or they think that you have like a poor value in that way. And it absolutely is an unhelpful value, but people do it in other ways. If it's not money, it's your weight. If it's yeah. not your weight, it's something like it's your, it's all just ways to try and find excess to fill the void. And it
2: never does. I, total, it it cannot work. It's never worked for anyone. And I think what we're suffering from or what I'm suffering from was a lack of belonging, a lack mm-hmm. of feeling like anybody else saw me, which sounds so cheesy, except I think that's a big part of the issue is that as all as so many institutions have broken down, people are just like completely untethered. The only thing we're taught to value is something external, like, I material. look so hot. Yeah. Like, exactly. I have this car. I have the perfect husband. And truth doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you actually hate your husband. It doesn't matter if you're waking up and, you know, dreaming of bread. Screw that. It's just, do you have the thing? And this ceaseless march towards the thing, which, you know, I actually, in the book I write about, um, I was Emmy unnominated. Mm-hmm. Um, I which love is the story a fine distinction you know I I had been work so I'd been working at Comedy Central for almost uh, 12 years something like that and there was this project that I was so passionate about with two of my favorite comedians in the entire world and I like did everything on that you know I helped with the scripts I helped build the set because it was a digital thing so there really wasn't any money for it so I'd mm-hmm. be like driving these hard drives from the valley to Santa Monica at, like one in the morning and it gave me so much pleasure, the process of getting to learn from them and be a part of it. And, and they're such you know, geniuses. Oh, they're like truly, truly, truly comedic geniuses beyond. It's one of the funniest online shows
1: in the world still. Yeah. Like I yeah. watch it all the it, time. This is Key and Peele. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I, it was like my pride and my joy and, you know, and I hate Emmy season In I don't know what your take on it is, but like, It's like TV prom and all of a sudden all the Botox is out. Like all of the Botox of all of the world like springs into existence and everybody is, it's so self-congratulatory. And I hate Emmy season until I was nominated for an Emmy for that web series. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, woohoo! Like Emmy season! I love Emmy season! I love it! (laughs) Like, should I get Botox? Where am I going to get a dress? Oh my God. Like, 10 out of 10, hell yes, Emmys, I am a winner because now forever next to my name is gonna be, say, Emmy nominated. And then I basically forgot about it because there's a span between when you get nominated and when the actual awards are and just went back to my job, not thinking about it. And I was out at a work dinner when I looked at my phone and saw that my boss's boss's boss was calling me. I was like, huh, He's not usually like dialing me, especially at dinner time. Wonder what this could be. And he said, you know, I don't think it's a good look for you to be on this Emmy nomination. You're you're no longer a producer. Like I had made stuff for that show in the past, and that's why I got that nomination, but I had moved into development, which is the people who oversee the shows. So as someone who oversees the shows, it's like, you're not the talent, it mm-hmm. looks bad. And, and I said, Why does was, it look bad? I didn't understand I, this. I, I think for their own personal reasons. Like I think there was more about maybe some people wanting to be artists and they weren't and feeling like they should have gotten credit earlier in their careers and they didn't. It was obviously about something more than just this. And he basically said, you know, how's this, how's this gonna look? You know, how how you know, this is just it just looks bad. And he said, you're going to have to make a choice. I'm going to let you decide. And it was implicit. Wait, what's the choice like, between?
1: What, just whether to r- accept it or Withdrawing
2: my name, like me actively withdrawing my name. Yeah. Or staying on it. And if I stayed on it, losing his respect, losing potentially the respect of all the artists. Like if this was like a terrible look and this really sage person was telling me this, you know, what was I to do? And so... And I also wanna add, I did not nominate myself. The -hmm. the way an Emmy nomination works is like, the network chooses the names, they submit it. I had nothing to do with this process. And I Emmy unnominated myself. I was just like, I can't win. The people who pay me, the person who's in control of my paycheck thinks it's disrespectful
1: I didn't I didn't have it's a, a mixed choice. bag isn't it it's a mixed bag it's good that like I think like, I don't have any uh particular sanctity for awards like I think it's uh it's, it's all fun and nice and and whatever but like you know I I it, it for, I don't know why it doesn't have a particular space space in my brain and so it's good to not have that Ex- another external validation be something that, you know, it's good to be able to walk away from an external validation. Yeah. Especially one that is so prized within your, yeah. you know, this like Los Angeles community. But, but at the same time, um, I, I think it's a bit fucked up that you were made to like sort of like emotionally yeah. blackmailed or guilt trip <laughs> into, uh, into as a woman, as one of the few women in there the were no other women. production scene to be forced to step down like i really do, i like that i like that story and hate that story
2: so much when i was reading it it's it's like the amount of effort they had to go through to take me off was like laughable like they'd have to petition and on top of everything i was the one who did the work it was, yeah. the, I was the only woman, the one who did the work. They had nominated me. Then they made this big deal to un-nominate me. Uh, and to kind I don't of even know it. how to
1: feel. How do you feel in like, when you well, now look back on it all? Like, what's the, fa- what's your final consensus? Because I want to hit people now. So. I'm
2: going <laughs> to need I you to calm me down. That impulse, yeah, I'm going to need you to calm me down.
1: Protectiveness. Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> you know, tying it all back together. It's just, that was the moment where I was like, external validation is never going to get me there. Mm -hmm. And I must end now because I have to protect myself. It it was so devastating how it all played out for me that I was like, I never want to be in this position again. But also, you're having to swap one validation for another. It's like this, like big, the like the big head, you know, head dude. What I came to understand was like the process of working with those comedians. I'll never forget. I was the mm-hmm. proudest of myself I had ever been. I saved their emails where, um, to people who are listening, like the, uh, you write notes on scripts, right? The, the development executive, whatever gives you notes on a script. They wrote back to me of my edits. No notes. Perfect. You got it. I was like, wait, what? You think I got it? Mm. I plastered those all over my home office. I have this to, to, to this day, I have it. Respect the respective people i respected the process of making the actual art it sounds so cheesy but now what i really really try hard to do is to mm-hmm. always come back to process am i enjoying myself you know am i learning rather than did this make a bestseller list did i get the nomination you know it's funny this is the this is the exact
1: argument i have with like my entire management and agent team uh where sometimes like very respected projects will come up that i'm wanted for and it just sounds like a slightly miserable experience, or it involves working with a massive bell end, you know, person yeah. who I know would be hell to spend six months in Bosnia with. Uh, <laughs> right. and I don't want to be away from my life. Uh, and I choose projects that sometimes aren't the most critically acclaimed, but they're with people that I either already love or would love to meet and hang out with. Yeah. Cause, you know, like I, I, I get to work with like a hero or I get to, you know, just do something really silly that I've never done before. And, and so I'm supposed, I know what I'm supposed to do and I know what I have the quote unquote potential to do, but I have also done critically acclaimed jobs when I was younger that made me fucking miserable and <laughs> made me really anorexic and made me yeah. really sad. Uh And, and the people were shit and life is too short, so that's very much. So my philosophy is like I'm. I, the the first factor is who's in it. Where am yes. I going to be? What will the life experience be that I get? Like what will I look back on when I'm eighty? Because if awards don't really mean that much to me, right? I'm really gonna like. I'm. It's really gonna need to be fucking worth my precious life. And I hope more people feel that way.
0: Want to make mom's day?
1: What would you say is the most pressing overarching theme in your book that you most want people to Mm. to read about and take like take away from your your experience? You know, you've you and I kind of exist like very oddly similarly in many ways, but also like like I fucked up so you don't have to is a big like part of our, you know, (laughs) you know, but what what is it that you most fundamentally uh, hope people can take away from your lived experience?
2: I'm going to cheat and give you two things, but they're okay, tied together. It. So, the first and the whole title of Glow in the Fucking Dark is I, after I got laid off from Comedy Central. It was a nightmare because that was my identity. Instead Should of. Should have like, kept your Emmy. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I know. I wonder if I can like write them a letter or something, That's petition. So funny. Go um, on. but. Like that was the shiny thing that I had fixed my identity to lost it instead of like sitting down to like reflect on, huh, isn't it weird that my whole self-worth is tied to a job? Fuck that. I'm going to hustle more. I'm going to go find something meaningful to do. I decide I'm going to move to Arizona and help in the 2020 election and on the road have a full dissociative disorder where I, I can't like, I see my hands on the steering wheel. They are not my hands. I feel like they feel like they're floating somebody else's full body sick. For the first time in my life, I pull over. I'm like, I just have to stop. Like this is, this is actually dangerous. And this feels like sandpaper on my soul. I gotta, I gotta stop. And where I stopped was on the highway in the Mojave desert on the way from LA to Arizona. And when I looked up, it was nighttime. It looked like a fucking star field was all over me. And we are technically made of stars. Scientifically, factually, this is not some nice saying that somebody wrote on a mug one time. The carbon in your muscles, the iron in your blood comes from stars. And when how? I realized that, through the big bang and how evolution came to be, but those elements, like uh, Carl Sagan talks a lot about it. Like mm-hmm. the elements in the stars are what is in our right, most- right. In ourselves, and once I heard that, you know how people are always like, "You're already good. You're already good as as you are." I'm like, "Why? Why? Like, what's the proof?" I don't know that I'm a good soul. Like, wh- why are you? Yeah, saying according that? to who? Yeah, yeah, according to who? But I know that no one ever is like, stars didn't like finish their to do list. They have moral failings. I don't like stars. stars. Don't have abs. Yeah, <laughs> stars yeah. don't have abs. They <laughs> better get some. Where's their Emmy award? We all generally are just like, stars are awesome. And so what I really, you know, we're talking about these things that I've, I've had to repeat to myself at work is just remembering, oh my God, that's in me. There is actually something in me that is inherently good, inherently glittering, inherently tied to something much, much bigger. And so when I feel like I'm not enough, that is how I have convinced myself that I am enough as I am, that I'm already good. And since I've been able to do that, I've been able to reclaim my agency. I've been able to say, hey, I can actually make changes in my life, in the life of my friends. I have not, I'm not helpless. Even when I feel like I'm helpless, and obviously there are big systematic, big, 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 big problems, That right? That one person isn't going to change. And every day is a chance to exercise my power. And as I exercise it in small ways, and um, Like, right now, there's such a scourge of anti-Semitism and that can make me feel really hopeless. Like, wow, so people have just hated Jews for all of time and now I just see it. Cool situation. I was in a, like, a stupid class pass workout class and the woman played, the instructor played wall-to-wall Kanye West. It was just like, and this was like three days after he said, I'm going to go DEFCON 3 on the Jews, right? Mm -hmm. This is like in the news, worst possible moment. And I started looking at other people's eyes to be like, is anybody else scared or picking up on this? No, nobody was doing anything. I felt so trapped. What do I do? What do I do? At the end of the class, I went up to the woman and I said something. I gave her the benefit of the doubt, you know, but I said it It actually made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, she was very defensive, but I felt good, A, because I had, I had spoken up, like even if that didn't lead to massive change, I had actually exercised my agency a little. And about 15 minutes later, she text messaged me to say, hey, I'm sorry I got so defensive. You're right. I'm going to take Kanye off. So it actually had had a little bit of an effect. Mm. And so I just really want to remind people, you are inherently worthy. You don't need to think your way into that. Just believe science. You're inherently good. And you have more power than you think, and we really, at this point in history, need you to use that power, like now. So that's yeah. what I would like people to take. And in the book, you go into
1: more detail as to like how to achieve these things. It's not so yeah. simple as just "I am the stars, I am enough." Like, no, it's a whole, it's a whole practice, a whole journey, like years yes. of lived experience and trials and and yes. tribulations and. And I know that this is stuff you've had to practice. And I also really rate the fact that after your first book, you know, which is about like ownership and safety and like all the good things, you then have another like broken moment <laughs> and then have to write another book and I, yeah. I think that's really fucking great uh, I was really I really enjoyed that because I feel like a lot of people write uh you know I was asked to like write a book uh a few years ago in like 2018 I got like a, a really big like fucking book deal to be like you know write to everyone about how you've you know gotten so much better from your most suicidal self and I started um, writing it and I was like you know I'm I'm actually not sure that I'm okay so I can't I I don't want to write this book because so much stuff in the help space, let's call it, um, is all like I did this and now I'm fine and peace out, bye. I like the fact that you're like in these incremental journeys of like, yeah, Yeah. I did get better for a while and I did heal some wounds, but that's not all the wounds. And then after I found those wounds, new ones came up from underneath the, you know, like underneath the the soil. And so I think that's a really important thing to have out there because it doesn't discredit your first book it just always tells us there's more to do and that's why I gave back that book deal thing because I was like I actually I don't I have I actually have no idea what's going on (laughs) so I I don't feel any authority not now but But it is inspiring to hear that like maybe it's okay to just say this is what I've learned thus far
2: that's I am not an expert I do not have a PhD. I didn't study mm-hmm. philosophy or theology. I have none of the credits for any of this stuff mm-hmm. other than I'm really, really curious and I keep trying. And my books are just, uh, do you want to hold hands on this journey? Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know the answers. I'm not the expert. I just know that I ask good questions and try. I Sometimes I feel like the world's most depressing motivational speaker because I always begin with, this is going to be very hard. Probably the hardest thing you will ever do, plus it's gonna take like 10 to 20 years. Maybe, actually, probably gonna take your whole life. But that's the truth, and it's worth it. It's worth doing these incremental little things, regaining our power. I I can't even believe how far I've come, and I know I'll fall down again. But the, the floor is so much higher than it used to be. Yeah. You know, and that's the, what the I noticed. Picking the yourself back up becomes much easier the next time quicker around. Quicker and easier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate your perspective on all of this. I appreciate the books and they're funny and they make people feel safe and not judged. And I think that's a really important thing. And I really appreciate you talking to me today so candidly about, you know, difficult stuff. So the last thing to do before you go is just for me to ask you, what do you
2: weigh? The thing I'm the most proud of is my relationships, that I've come to a point where I realize the bonds I make are absolutely the most important thing and everything else is just some form of artifice and that those are the things that I have to nurture and protect. That's That took me a long time to get to. And the other thing I would say is that I'm worthwhile. It took me 10 years to understand that I'm deserving of love and respect and a life, and I'm not a piece of shit. So that's been really helpful, Mm -hmm. I would say. And I guess the third thing I would say is just compassion. Mm -hmm. Like I dug so deep to my own suffering, sat in it, understood it, that when I see somebody else suffering, I, I actually now understand what compassion means and I can feel it. And I, I thought it was just a stupid saying on a like yoga studio wall, like self-compassion, compassion. compassion. You know, I thought that was not possible. And now it's something I really treasure.
1: Mm, That's amazing. I agree with so much of what you said, apart from the fact that I think I am a piece of shit, but I think I like that about myself. And I think I'm like, I think I'm piece of shit representation in this industry. And if you can see it, you can be it. And I consider myself to be the smiling poo emoji piece of shit, you know, like thriving, thriving as a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I have girl bossed piece of shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) uh, Tara, thank you so much for coming. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Way with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh my independence, my loyalty, my optimism.
0: Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba da
1: ba ba ba.